everybody, welcome into the Cubs Weekly Podcast presented by Wintrust, proud legacy partner of the Chicago Cubs, an exclusive home of Cubs Checking. Open online today at Wintrust.com slash Cubs Weekly. Tony Draghi here joined by Andy Martinez. And Andy, this is uh, the second version of this podcast we've done. Uh, we'll get to more a little bit later on, but after we recorded this initially on Tuesday, there's some breaking news or near breaking news that have come out uh, that really affected the conversation from yesterday. But Andy, let's start just with here we are Wednesday afternoon. Let's start with the, the Shohei Otani news that came out on Saturday. Obviously, he's not here in Chicago. He ended up signing with the Dodgers. We've learned so much more in the days since, just about the contract, about how the Dodgers are able to go out and get other players to add, which kind of permeates the rest of this conversation in the podcast as well, and, and will throughout the 24 season. But just initial reactions to Otani, the contract, and everything we've seen since. Yeah, I think the biggest takeaway for me is that somehow – a $700 million contract is team-friendly. Yeah. Just given the way that it's structured, given the way the money's deferred, it's team-friendly because it's $70 million, or it's $2 million a year, first of all, that he's getting paid, and it's a $46 million hit against the against the CBT, which is very big, don't get me wrong, like Jacob deGrom, Max Scherzer, those guys kind of have that, that kind of hit. But you're getting Shohei Otani in that, and you're paying him $700 million over the life of the contract. So... Instead of paying seventy million and having a seventy million dollar hit, it's creating a forty six million dollar hit. Which, with that eight earnings, it's the exact amount you would need to get a Tyler Glass now. Which, according to Ken Rosenthal, the uh, as of Wednesday morning, those two sides are close to completing a deal. That makes a lot of sense. It does, um, you know, and we'll and we'll get into like the Glass now stuff a bit more too, uh, just because it was a, a Cubs target for sure, but. You know, Otani was definitely a Cubs target. I mean, the Cubs were in on it. Uh, they obviously can't come right out and say that, hey, we're, you know, going after Shohei Otani. Like, apart from Dave Roberts, nobody did that. You can't really do that with free agents. Um, it's against the rules and frowned upon yeah. and all of those different things. Cubs are obviously in on Otani. I don't know what their final offer is. Maybe we'll never know. We, right. we likely will never know. But, you know, ultimately, yeah, like this is a deal that somehow, like you said, they get Shohei Otani in L.A., uh, and it's a bargain, and which is crazy. I mean, there, there's so much deferred money. He's making only $2 million a year, but he's up to $50 million a year in endorsements estimated. Um, so, yeah, it's pretty insane. And then just from the, the perspective of everybody thought this was going to be the Dodgers all along. So, like, yeah. my stance, and I know I've said this to you several times, but, like, I feel like that's the most boring outcome in general is right. everybody said the Dodgers a year ago, six months ago, three months ago, a month ago. Dodgers were the favorites. This is what happened. It took until mid-December for it to kind of come to fruition. So I just feel like it's the most boring outcome as a baseball fan. It would have been most interesting, certainly, to be here in Chicago for us, from our perspective, for sure, covering him every day, for Cubs fans watching him every day over the next decade. But just in baseball in general, it would have been nice to see him go to Toronto or San Francisco or something else. But, I mean, how about that? Like, the Giants keep losing out to Stars. Like, they supposedly had the exact same offer as the Dodgers. He chooses the Dodgers anyway. It just, it's a little bit of a boring outcome to me and one that took a couple months longer almost than I felt like I needed to. Right. It, it almost felt like, I, like I'm trying to think of a good comparison, but like maybe like a like a prom date, right? Like you knew that this these two were going to be no a prom date. I have no idea where date. you're going with this. They, like you knew these two were going to prom together. And then, but there was like kind of like, oh, like maybe okay. they'll go their separate ways. Maybe something else will happen. And at the end of the day, they're at prom together. Like that's kind so of like, like would Jim and Pam get together in the office? Like they eventually sure, will, but like it, but when? Sure. When you never watched the office? No, I've not. We've been over this. Yeah, yeah I've never watched. I don't the think I knew that about no, you. I've never. I know watched you haven't seen a lot. You haven't seen. All right, 
Well, once this podcast is over, you should go watch The Office. But Maybe. Anyways, on any popular TV show where they're, right. you're like, will these characters get together? It seems like it'll happen at some Suits. point. Suits. Donna and Harvey. Okay. <laughs> I, I, dude, I've only saw like the first season. Did they get together? You're watching Suits after the bot. <laughs> I'll watch The Office. All right. We've devolved. Okay. But yes, I understand the Yes, metaphor. the premise Absolutely. is Shohei and the Dodgers <laughs> always made a lot of sense. And you knew it was going to happen there. Like six months ago, we all knew it was going to be. We all figured it would be Dodgers and yeah. and and Shohei. Three months ago, we knew it was Shohei and the Dodgers. You would have said at the beginning of the offseason, Dodgers and Shohei would have made a ton of sense. The only situation I could have seen where maybe it didn't happen somehow another team somehow offers way more money, like eight hundred and fifty or something crazy like that, or maybe the Angels in season compete really really well. He likes where the team's going. That's mm. where he chooses. Like, to me, it always just made sense that he was going to end up with the Dodgers. And I know there was that kind of allure and tease that maybe he would come to Chicago, but it always felt like a pipe dream, at least from my perspective, uh, for, for Shohei Watani to be to be wearing a Cubs uniform. Yeah, and I think part of the reason for that was what we've said all along in podcasts here and just in general is the Cubs don't feel like a team that's going to overpay for Shohei or other people. Right. Like, from what we've gathered and again we don't know exactly what maybe the Dansby Swanson offers were from other people or whatever else but it doesn't seem like the Cubs are drastically overpaying for anybody lately right and, and that's a, been a big staple I would say since Jed took over the front office but even with Theo in town you know maybe you could argue that the Jason Hayward contract was an overpay other than that I mean I, I don't know how much there were overpays like maybe the Aroldis Chapman trade was an overpay just in terms of value that came up but you know a lot of it is about maximizing value about finding opportunities uh, you know, in the market to maximize uh, Cody Bellinger one year, for example, right. um, or some of these other moves. Jake Arrieta obviously worked out perfectly, uh, maximizing like Scott Feldman's value, for example. But yeah, you know, I, I don't think any of us, either of us, expected the Cubs to overpay, which is why the Otani thing seemed like a little bit of a pipe dream when you really boiled it down because of the fa- that fact. Like, you, you, they're not going to go to 850 million. It would have been crazy to even think of them. They've never signed a $200 million free agent. For them to even do go to $750 million to top like right. the Dodgers and Giants. So, And I'm not convinced that the Dodgers, if it was 750 that the Dodgers wouldn't say no yeah. to that. Like, I think if it was that close, I think the Dodgers would have ponied up that kind of cash too. Yeah, I mean, maybe the reason that it took this long was because the Giants had a great offer and the Dodgers had a match. Right. And once they, like, I don't know that for sure, right. but that's just very possible how this played out. So, um, yeah, I mean, you know, bummer from the Cubs fans' perspective for sure because – the fact that it took a while and, and has you know come all the way through and past winter meetings affects the rest of the offseason for sure because it's something that, that Jed Hoyer and, and Carter Hawkins last week in Nashville both talked about. You can't really focus on plan B or plan C until you know plan A is taken care of, right? Right, and and that's that's exactly what they said, and clearly Shohei Otani was plan A, and you don't want to go to your plan B or plan C, and then plan A comes, and now you're stuck with all these players that you're trying to fit all these these holes into these round holes into square pegs like that, that you don't want that situation you don't want to come across that that scenario and so you don't want to move on into other options and most you absolutely have to like you don't want to put all your egg but you also don't want to do the reverse right you don't want to put all your eggs in the in your bat in the Shohei Otani basket and then once that doesn't happen you're kind of left looking like well what can we do the Cubs clearly had been planning for yes Shohei Otani is a target and maybe there's a chance but we also have to know that if we don't get Shohei Otani, it's this, and then it's this, and then it's this. Now they're at the, the, the plan B. They're at, they're at their next step. What do they do? Is it maybe a Cody Bellinger? Like That seems like the most logical um, situation for them, at least from the outside perspective. Maybe internally they have a, a different plan B. Like Maybe Cody Bellinger is in plan B. We don't know that just 
kind of how Jed Hoyer and Carter Hawkins operate their front front office. They're and, and rightfully so. They're not out there saying this is what we're going to do because then they lose all leverage in negotiations. Yeah, I mean, all right. So on the Bellinger front, for example, like the Giants have been believed and rumored to be in very hard on the Bellinger market, the Blue Jays as well after missing right. Otani. Uh, some of the other teams might be in there. The Yankees, as we've talked about too, seem like they're out of it after trading for Juan Soto, but also acquiring Trent Grisham and Alex Verdugo in trade. So now they have three left-handed hitting outfielders. I can't imagine they're going to sign another one. They have Rizzo already at first base, Stanton at DH. Like they're not, it seems like there's absolutely no room for Bellinger, barring anything surprising. So it seems like maybe it, it might come down to those three teams, Cubs, Giants, and uh, Blue Jays for Bellinger services. At this point, I, d- I don't know, though, for sure exactly how the Giants play in after after signing Lee, the, the Korean outfielder. Six years, $113 million. Center fielder, uh, I think he's 25, 26 years old, like projected to be a pretty good defender and a good hitter, left-handed bat as yep. well. So a guy who basically fits a lot of what you would be wanting from Cody Bellinger. And also $113 million over six years is nothing to sneeze at contract-wise either. Right, it is a big contract, and the Giants have been trying to get a big star like that. Is he the big star? I think time will tell. We've, it's not, we've seen a lot of players come over from Korea or from Japan, and it's not an instantaneous. Kodai Senga probably being like the lone exception. It's not Even a, Shohei wasn't like a star right, right, right away. Exactly. Yeah. Like Seiya really struggled in year one. Like It's not an instantaneous, like you get here and you're automatically an 800 OPS guy and and, and doing what you're supposed to be doing. Like It, it takes time. Seiya even in year two some, had some struggles. Like I, Maybe that compels the Giants to say, "Hey, we need to get Cody Bellinger as an insurance policy, and we can, we can use him and Lee." Like, maybe that's the situation they look after to to try and get Bellinger. But you're right; like, it feels like it, it comes kind of comes down to the Blue Jays and Cubs for Cody Bellinger, and it, and I wonder if this thing is something that it gets dragged out, knowing that well, there's only two teams, and we saw what Scott Boris has done with someone like Carlos Correa the first time we went through free agency, where he took him all the way into March, and then he finally signed that three-year, $100 million deal with the Twins with an opt-out after year one. Does something like that play out with the Cubs? Who knows? Like Maybe that is a situation where Cody Bellinger, Scott Boris and, and Cody Bellinger want to wait out the market to get what, they, what they're after because this is a guy who's 27 years old, in prime of his career, coming off an MVP vote-getting season after three really, really difficult seasons. I, it, it, rightfully so. They should be looking for what they deem as fair value is a fair value to what teams are going to be looking for. Maybe not. That's yet to be determined, but I think Cody Bellinger fills a lot of needs for the Cubs and it, 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 it greatly improves their team based on what they have right now. It does. And I think, you know, we've talked about it a bunch, but uh, Jed Hoyer confirmed again on Cubs 360 last week in Nashville. One of the main Cubs priorities this winter is left-handed bats. Yeah. Yeah, they, you know, he put pointed to in the division. There's a bunch of right-handed pitchers, a bunch of quality right-handed pitchers in the NL Central. But really, around baseball, like you need more lefties. And if you look at the Cubs roster right now, you have Mike Talkman or Pete Armstrong in center field. Um, both, you know, PCA obviously is on the way up. We don't know fully what his offensive profile will look like, especially in 2024. Mike Talkman had one of the better seasons of his big league career. Power was maybe down a little bit compared to what we saw in 2019 in New York, but that's probably true of everybody since 2019. Right. Like that was the year that the ball was just flying out of the ballpark. But obviously gets on base, a good leadoff hitter, table setter. Not a guy that necessarily is just going to mash or inspire a lot of fear in opposing pitchers, especially righties. Then you have Ian Happ, switch hitter. Then you have Miles Mastroboni on the bench. Beyond that, it's Matt Mervis or maybe some of these other. Owen Casey's a, a really exciting prospect. 
probably will begin the year in AAA. Maybe best case scenario, he's up in the big leagues by middle of 24 here. But like at DH because the corner outfield spots, barring injury, are already taken care of. So other than that, it's a bunch of righties. I mean, you have Seiya Suzuki, Dansby Swanson, Nico Horner, uh, all, Christopher Morell. Uh, if you're talking about in the outfield, Alexander Canario possibly, and then behind the plate is Jan Gomes and, and um, Miguel Amaya. Right. Then you have Patrick Wisdom and Nick Madrigal. Like, there's just a lot of right-handed hitters throughout the lineup. The Cubs need a lefty. They need a feared lefty. They need a fear, feared hitter in general, too, in the middle of that order. Like, you you don't I, – I don't think at this point we can say for sure what Seiya Suzuki will be offensively in 2024. Like, the last two months of 23 were phenomenal. If he does that all year, absolutely. That would be great. The Cubs would be better for it. It's an MVP, pal- MVP caliber player. For sure. But, like, even with that, they also had Bellinger hitting pretty well over most of that stretch, and they still just missed the, the playoffs by one game. So, like, you need to add Bellinger's production back into it in some form or another, whether it's Bellinger himself or somebody else. And if it's not Bellinger, like we said, then then you'd have to get it from the left side somehow, and I don't know fully where that comes from right now. So there's a little bit, a little part of me as we see the, some of these other moves taking place that thinks that like at some point the Cubs and Jed may have to get a little desperate and maybe feeling the pressure a bit. They might disagree, but like if I'm in their shoes, I would be feeling a little bit of the pressure and desperation to sign a guy like Bellinger because there is the potential that this offseason you may end up with a worse roster no matter what going into 2024. There could be some things that surprise us, but right now it's becoming harder and harder to see a a pathway where you add a guy of Bellinger's quality or whatever, the lineup looks better, the rotation looks better, all of that stuff, then how you finish 2023. Yeah, it's interesting too, because Jed Hoyer has talked about that, right? Where there's, there, like, I think if you go on Twitter or if you look at the outside perspective, like, it feels like there's a lot of, like, angst, for lack of a better term, amongst Cubs fans, right? Like, they see Shohei sign, they see Tyler Glass now potentially going to L.A., uh, you start seeing some of these names kind of fall off the board, and you're wondering, well, what are the Cubs going to do to improve on a team that just missed out on the playoffs? Like, how do they get better? And Jed Hoyer was asked, like, do, do you feel pressure about, like, having to get desperate? And it was an interesting saying, or it is an interesting comment where he says, I've said a lot over to- a lot of times over the years, winning the offseason is probably more curse than a blessing. And he said this, re- he has said this repeatedly. Yeah, he yeah. mentioned it last year, where if you, th- uh, like, the Padres have, many off seasons have they won the last few years like they seemingly always win the off season and they've been to the playoffs once and that that span this year they they had quote-unquote won the off season right they got xander bogarts they already had juan soto like the mets have won off seasons recently too yeah. right mets won the off season last season they didn't even they sold at the deadline like i get what he's coming from but he also but it also comes from a point of like the team is in a position isn't in a position where they can afford to sit on their hands. And I don't think they're going to sit on their hands. I'm not trying to say, like, they're just going to – they're content with what they are. I think they'll be making moves. But there has – to your point, there has to feel some sort of pressure of there's got to be a, in a, some sort of addition to the left-handed side. There's got to be an improvement at first base because first base production outside of when Cody Bellinger there was almost non-existent, and it's been like that for a couple of years. Uh, the bullpen needs a lot of help. Like, all these all these different factors have to there come in. Third base, first third base, base right. center field. Yeah. Right. Starting rotation. They can never have enough pitching. Everyone always says that. Like, there's a lot of holes that need to be filled. And so, is he feeling the pressure from the fans? Maybe not, because I don't think Jed Hoyer is the kind of guy who's sitting on Twitter reading what yeah. uh, Twitter user 3 is saying about the Cubs. Like, I don't think he really cares about that. But I think he's feeling pressure that he knows the team can get better. And when these moves start happening, there's definitely the pressure of, like, 
well, we need to do something too. Yeah, right. Because it's just there's only a finite number of moves, a finite number of players, right. and this is a relatively weak free agent class. Like yeah. it's it's buoyed by the fact that Shohei Otani is the best free agent that the game has ever seen. Obviously, just made right. far and away the most money. I mean, seven hundred million dollars is basically Aaron Judge and Garrett Cole's contract combined. Right. So that's insane. But then. Other than that, I mean, there's Yamamoto still out there. We haven't seen much at all in the way of Cubs connection there. Uh, actually, in fact, apparently Shohei's already part of the Dodgers pitch. For Yamamoto, you know, yeah. So, like like you said, too, with Tyler Glass now, um, you know, on the trade market. But, yeah, otherwise there's Cody Bellinger, and uh, Aaron Nola's already gone back to the Phillies. Like, um, Lee, like we said, is off the board to the Giants. So there's only a finite number of options available to Jed and Carter and the Cubs front office to make this team better, to build on a, on a 2023 roster who, while there is a very encouraging core in place, you got a new manager with Craig Council, you feel really good about the future, like the prospects that are coming, you know, guys like we said, Casey, but also Jordan Wicks maybe having a bigger role. Cade Horton could be knocking on the door. Ben Brown, PCA having a bigger role, like seeing how this, this plays out. But You've also lost Marcus Stroman and Cody Bellinger from that 2023 team, and there there were some holes already in that roster. So you got to build upon that. There's only a finite number of possibilities. Um, we're going to take a quick break here in the Cubs Weekly Podcast. When we come back, we're going to talk about how the Cubs fill some of those holes, uh, and particularly looking at the trade market. We know you love Chicago. You devour the pizza, admire Chicago's skyline, and cheer on Chicago sports teams, especially the Cubs. If you wanted to live in a more boring place, you'd live in St. Louis. Why not bank with Chicago's bank too? Upgrade your wallet with an exclusive Wintrust Cubs debit card, which you can get when you open a Wintrust Cubs checking account. Show your Cubs pride and open an account at Wintrust.com slash Cubs. Member FDIC, equal housing lender. All right, welcome back into the Cubs Weekly Podcast. Andy Martinez, Tony and Jackie here. So right before the break, we were talking about how the Cubs go about this offseason, um, basically forming an ideal offseason without Shohei Otani, uh, maybe po- probably without Yamamoto, definitely without like Aaron Nola, maybe without Cody Bellinger. Again, we'll kind of see how that market plays out. One of the ways, Andy, that we thought they may be able to improve at least the rotation, especially with Stroman gone, is Tyler Glass now. It seemed very likely, maybe not very likely, but at least likely during the winter meetings that the Cubs and Rays would be able to reach a deal. Glass now has one year, $25 million left on his deal. Uh, it seemed like there could be a fit there. We had heard Christopher Morell's name thrown in there. Um, I don't think that is particularly likely, it, you know, that Morell four plus years of control for Morell for one year of Glass now makes a ton of sense. That being said, as you talked about earlier in the podcast, like it sure seems like Glass now is headed to the Dodgers. Kind of crazy that like Shohei and Glass now will both be there most likely again things could kind of change in this deal but it'll come in around 70 million total so like right. that that 24 million dollar in savings on Shohei's contract goes almost entirely to glass now but this move in general assuming it happens in the Dodgers is is kind of a big blow to the Cubs offseason yeah and just for background in case you're listening you don't know what we're talking about Ken Rosenthal this uh, Wednesday morning tweeted that the Dodgers are discussing a trade in which they would get right-handed pitcher Tyler Glass now and outfielder Manuel Margot from the race for right-handed pitcher Ryan Pepio and uh, outfielder Johnny DeLuca, which the first thing I thought of when I thought of that trade is there's a lot of similar, like what does that cost equate to for the Cubs? Like what would it have, what would it theoretically cost the Cubs? And Pepio was a, a, a one of their top prospects. He was number six going into the 2023 season uh, per MLB pipeline, pitching the big leagues a fair amount in, in 2023. 
So I looked at the Cubs five six uh, combination of, of prospects going into last year. It was Jordan Wicks and Caleb Killian. Caleb Killian really didn't have a, a run in the in the major leagues, and he struggled when he's been up here. But Jordan Wicks had a pretty good run. So my immediate reaction is like, okay, it would have cost some combination of Jordan Wicks and another outfield prospect um, to get Manuel Margot, who could play some center field, and yeah. Tyler Glass now, which. That's a hefty like I know we talked about morale. That's also a hefty price. It is to 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 pay for one year of Tyler Glass now, which as Jed Hoyer and Carter Hawkins have talked about, like this isn't twenty twenty four isn't like they have to win twenty twenty four or else it's twenty twenty four bus. Like it's, that's not the, they're the way they're looking at it. They're trying to build sustained success year over year, and you don't give up on a starting pitcher that you drafted in the first round that you've developed into what looks like could be a quality starter in the major leagues for one year of Tyler Glass now and and an outfielder that realistically is kind of holding the place that you might have to trade because you have P- PCA uh, on the horizon. Like, and at best, he's a role player. Right, and right. another right-handed bat. Too. Right. Yeah, like, yeah. There's, like, like, does it, maybe would you include some other arbitration-eligible player, uh, hitter of some sort? Maybe. But, again, it, it's a lot to pay, and I get why the Rays are doing it in terms of budget and I get why the the, the Dodgers are doing because they definitely feel the pressure of like they need to win especially with Shohei if only and, the only championship they won in 30 plus years is that bubble championship so yeah right right and then you think about like well you're getting in theoretically you're getting an ace in 2025 in Shohei Otani so like Tyler Glass now makes a lot of sense because it's one year you can cut loose and you're, you're you're okay so I I get it from that perspective but you're right like Glass now made a lot of sense where do they go from here to kind of fill out that rotation that last rotation spot because they need to replace Marcus Stroman in some capacity? Is it maybe Shane Bieber via trade? Is it going into the higher end uh, of the free agent market, whether it's like a Blake Snell or a Jordan Montgomery? I don't think that's the path, but those are that's a big question mark for me right now. Yeah, and I think why Glass now made a lot of sense for the Cubs is the ability to miss bats, right? Yeah. And, and the fact that he's right-handed. So it's kind of funny. We talk about the need for lefties in the lineup. I don't think the Cubs are out there specifically saying, oh, we can't get another lefty in the rotation. But when Justin Steele is your ace, Drew Smiley, you're paying $10.5 million in 2024 to be either a starter or a reliever. Jordan Wicks is one of your best rotation options uh, and maybe doesn't crack the opening day rotation, but is probably the next man up. You already have three lefties in your maybe top six starters. You don't necessarily want to add another lefty into that mix. Like you're pretty left-handed heavy. You just have Jamison Tyone and Kyle Hendricks in that case, then as righties. So you know, I feel like the righty aspect of Glass now made a lot of sense. And then the fact that he misses bats, I think, was huge because the Cubs, while the rotation and and even as we laid out, those guys, I feel pretty confident about all of them going into next season. Varying levels of confidence, maybe on Smiley, the way last year went, but they don't miss a ton of bats. They're not high strikeout guys. They they go you know rely on the defense quite a bit behind them Cubs defense very very good obviously three goal glovers but like that's that's a little bit that's not quite the the best recipe for success like you also want guys that miss bats and the the bullpen missed a ton of bats in 2023 obviously the Cubs hope that continues in 24 but like to have another guy in the rotation that misses bats a righty a guy like glass now who even if he only throws 120 innings again 130 innings you know they're they're like borderline elite innings and he's right up there for his 20 to 25 starts maybe maybe he does finally have a season where he's fully healthy too that's why it made a lot of sense to me that's why i thought he was a great target from the cubs perspective you're right too on bieber uh, he's been missing bats quite a bit less as the last few years have gone on too so i wonder about that as well but like 
in general, I don't know what the Cubs do from the rotation from here because I do agree that they definitely need to add an arm. I mean, losing Stroman uh, is big for sure, but you don't you you know that you're going to need eight to ten arms at least throughout the rotation to go into next or like throughout 2024 if you want to contend. And a contending team, I don't think, wants to rely on Drew Smiley. Uh, Jordan Wicks and Javier Assad essentially as their last few starters. Maybe Ben Brown again, maybe Killian at some point, or yeah, like Killian turns around, but also maybe Kate Horton. Like those are all maybes. They're a bunch of wild cards. You don't have much stability beyond Steele and Hendricks and then Jamison Tyone, who had a good end of the season, really rough start to the season. The rest of his career has been really good. I think you're hoping that he gets back to that normal. But still, it's not its not the kind of rotation that inspires a ton of fear. It's not the type of rotation that you're like, yeah, that's definitely the, the team to beat in the NL Central. Or maybe would even compete with the Dodgers and, and end up beating them to, to get to the World Series either. So it, they, there's work that needs to be done in this rotation, I still think, this offseason. I, I agree wholeheartedly with you. Like I think they're, they're, you can't fully rely on young players. And Jed Hoyer talked about at, at the winter meetings in Nashville, he talked about young players, young pitchers specifically, that – and how many times have we heard this from him or Theo Epstein before him of like success and development isn't linear, right? Like just because you had one good season or, or a good stretch doesn't mean that the next season you're just going to be a better pitcher and then a better pitcher and then a better pitcher. Like there's going to be lumps. Hayden Wisniewski at this time last year, we were talking about him being a key piece to the rotation. Like I think you had the prediction that he'll make an opening day start at some yeah. point. Like I really thought Thanks like... bringing that up. Yeah, yeah no. <laughs> I know. I think at some point I thought... Like, or like I thought at some point by the end of the year he'd be making crucial starts for the Cubs down the stretch and that never materialized. Does that mean Hayden Wozneski all of a sudden is a bad pitcher? No. But that is the nature of young pitchers, right? Like just because Jordan Wicks had some flashes in seven games... Or seven starts, excuse me, in the major leagues does not translate to 2024. He's going to be a solid three the whole year. Like... Justin Seal in his first run in the big leagues in 2021, he was a reliever, then struggled as a starter. Then in 2022, his first two months, he had like a five ERA, really, really struggled. The last three months, he kind of figured it out and, and got to a, a, a low three ERA. But those two months are crucial. If you're running through every fifth time where you got a guy who's going through a five ERA, that's not the recipe to contend. And while maybe you can afford that when you're rebuilding or, or if you've got like four other really, really solid relievers, it's hard to do that when you're, you've really only got three solid starters. Like you, you need to have that, that cover of like a Tyler Glass now or someone that you know every fifth day you've got a chance to win. And that's what Justin Steele was in 2023. Marcus Stroman was, was that for a lot of the, the 2023 season at the beginning. Drew Smiley was even that the first couple months. Like you need that kind of stability where it's like all right this guy's coming up probably a good chance to win it allows credit council to be creative the days leading up to it and the days after because he knows that that one day is is, is a big reassurance policy and and I, I think being able to add to that rotation to have someone where you're not worrying like oh, thursday and friday we've got two young guys going and we might get a really good performance or we might get a really bad performance like you don't know what you're going to get because they're young players you got to remove that uncertainty especially if you're hoping to contend yeah, because every season there obviously are things that you cannot predict coming up. Like on the negative side, I mean, everybody thought going into the year that Hayden Wesneski was going to have a much bigger role. Everybody, I think, thought or most people thought that Jamison Tyone would not have an ADRA through the first couple of months of the season. And then on the other side, you didn't think Mike Talkman was going to play such an important role in the team or, you know, maybe Javier just Saad. Like, Javier, Javier Saad, Saad a year ago, would, like who would have thought that he would be the Swiss army knife that he was, whether it was starting or relieving that he could fill all these roles, yeah. even in spring training, it's like, 
this guy's contending for the fifth starter role with Samson and 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 Hayden Wasneski, but he's not really like in the competition. It's those other two guys, and then he puts in a great WBC performance. He puts himself into the picture. Like, there's going to be both sides of that. There's going to be guys who maybe struggle in 2024, but there's also going to be stories where like maybe Hayden Wasneski next year is a really yeah. huge piece of the Cubs pitching staff. By the way, remember like going into spring training and most of spring training, we thought Samson was going to be the yeah, exactly. Starter. So it's yeah. like that's the way things play out. Maybe shows you how much we know too. Right. But, well, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, definitely like you said, you want to mitigate the risk, and that's the whole point in, in a lot of ways of the off season and going in, you know, offensively back to the lineup. The Cubs can't go into next season with Patrick Wisdom and Matt Mervis essentially as their only options at first base depending on what position Christopher Morrell plays. So, you know, there are guys like Reese Hoskins out there coming off the ACL injury, didn't play a regular season game in 2023. Veteran Brandon Belt uh, is one of the few left-handed hitters available on the market. I think he makes a lot of sense. He, he hasn't always been healthy, but he really mashes against righties. That would make a ton of sense. If there was a scenario where the Cubs are able to add both guys, you know, it, maybe platoon them at first, DH, whatever else, mix in with the team, I think that would be huge assets to the offense, but that's like an ideal offseason type thing. That's not necessarily the reality. I don't know how that plays out, but if they were to miss on Bellinger, those would be two guys for sure that I'd be targeting. And maybe even like a Hoskins, actually maybe even either of those guys in addition to Bellinger, and then that helps the offense take a step forward from where they were in 2023. And I think the big thing with someone like a Reese Hoskins is that they're coming off an ACL injury, an ACL surgery where like, yes, they're, they're healthy. Yes, he's healthy and yes, he can contribute, but you also don't want him on his feet for yeah. 140 games at first base or 120, even like 150 or 130 games. Like you want to be able to give him that role of you're going to DH to the day, day game after a night game and Brandon Belt or Cody Bellinger or Patrick Wisdom, whoever is going to start at first base, keep the bat in the lineup, but keep the legs fresh so that it's not a, a strenuous year for Reese Hoskins, who probably will be signing like a, a one or two year deal to kind of rebuild this value to hidden free agency. Like, I wonder if that makes sense sort of like a la uh, Cody Bellinger. Yeah. And I, I think um, just an, a lot depends on where Christopher Morrell ends up playing, where the Cubs view him or if they trade him at all. I mean, I guess we'll see. Obviously, if they trade him this winter, whatever they get in return will be really interesting. But assuming they don't trade him, which I think I'm less convinced that they're going to trade him now after like the winter meetings and after hearing Craig Council specifically talk about Morrell. I'm just really curious what position he plays, assuming he is yeah. back with the Cubs in 24. <clears throat> Do they view him as third base? He's been playing there a bunch in winter league. They've talked about wanting to get him at first base. I don't think he's ever played at first in the winter league even, right? No. So like he hasn't seen game action there. Maybe they could get him out there in spring training a bit, but that's a pretty big wild card. Uh, especially for a guy who this in the past they haven't trusted at third base for the most part, and uh, is it is it probably a below average outfielder from what we've seen? They they really have honed in at least in 2023 on him in the infield. So I would just be really curious to see where he slots in offensively or sorry defensively and how the the coaching change. You know, Craig Council and Ryan Flaherty might have a different idea, probably do have a different idea of how players fit on this roster than what David Ross and Andy Green thought as the manager bench coach combo. So. I'd be really curious to see how that plays out. But just in general, like Christopher Morell, to me, there's a little bit of Javi Baez in him because I feel like he has that it factor. He rises to the occasion, getting big hits. We've seen big moments. Obviously, that walk-off against the White Sox was huge. But he rises to the occasion. He's a special player, brings a lot of energy to the team. The most instant off offense uh, in this lineup right now, too, that I think a big um, 
a big drive, a big motivating factor for the Cubs over the next couple of months, and particularly in spring training, is figuring out a position for Morrell full-time. Yeah. Whether that's just third base or not, give him a little bit of a runway to see whether that happens. But you can't just go into next season, I don't think, with him as the DH, because you have to see what else there is. And then the DH, you could always figure out spots, depending on, on maybe some of these other moves. You can figure it out. You just figure out what position Morrell is going to play first. Yeah, and I, I th- Jed Hoyer's talk, talked about at the winter meetings, like he loves having that versatility of players. And he referenced Chris Bryant in 2016 and being able to kind of move him around. And then you think about Chris Bryant in 2021 where he was playing left field and third base and the right field, like he was kind of all over the place. Like having that ability to mix and match and platoon guys is very valuable. And something that Craig Council did in Milwaukee that, that is also valuable. And yeah, it's all about, for Christopher Mel, it's about finding the position because he's, he's young and he's so talented that bat is an instant offense, like you mentioned. You can't just have that be a DH. And it wasn't something that he really took to very well. Like, it was a, a real struggle for him. I remember talking to him, and he, he mentions, like, how it's hard to stay engaged. And those at-bats where you strike out on three pitches, and then you're sitting for three more innings. So like, those things weigh on him, and it, it's hard to keep mentally locked in when you're having that kind of situation. It's really important this winter, like, for him to be playing, yes, and getting at-bats, sure. But to me, it's the defensive reps, the game action reps that you can't really mimic in in training or in practice and pregame warmups. Like you need those reps that, unfortunately for him, he couldn't get in 2023 just because the Cubs' best defensive lineup or defensive uh, setup featured Nick Madrigal at third base, Nico Horner at second, Danzy Swanson at short. He was kind of left out of the picture. The hope is with his reps at first base and at third base, he can improve. He's been okay in the winter leagues defensively um he's played 117 innings at third base it's a 951 fielding percentage he's played 26 innings at shortstop he has an 818 uh, fielding percentage so a few errors mixed in there errors are very subjective i know they're not the perfect uh, the measure to, to to quantify defense what's his drs uh, not listening. Uh, <laughs> yeah. so, so unfortunately, I can't. I cannot uh, look no, up that right, right, or outs above average that are probably a better measurement. But it gives you a rough idea that like there's still some growth to be taken in in defensively for Christopher Morrell in the winter leagues, and it's not going to happen overnight. Like it was never going to happen overnight. The hope is that he comes into spring training at a better place than he was last year, where you can continue to build on that, and he and he can be a big piece because. Why yes he's been he's been mentioned in potential trade talks or, or whatever like I think he's the ultimate wild card for the Cubs because if you can use him at first or if you can use him at third base or if you can use him as a DH that creates so much value for you because you're right he's instant offense and I just think of someone like Randy Rosarena like he like I just picture him in the playoffs like having a big hit and living for that moment like that's just the type of personality that he is we saw it in the the walk off moment against the White Sox he loves that that moment and he has kind of that knack that unquantifiable or unteachable aspect of of him that he can kind of somehow deliver in those big moments i just think it's the kind of player that you want to see in the playoffs and and you like when the playoffs come around he has the potential to be that kind of guy where you're like i want to see his at bats because i know something could happen just like with randy or rosa or or Corey seager like you know those guys in the playoffs like you want to see their at bats because there's a potential for magic to happen yeah, like you said, I mean, the value for the lineup of having Christopher Morrell in a defensive position. And Magical played great defense, but obviously offense, those two guys are about as different as you Polar could possibly opposite, be. Yeah. So, but, like, what it would do to the offense if you're able to sign some of these other guys uh, potentially and add some of these these 
say, let's just say perfect world, Reese Hoskins and Brandon Belt. You add that to the lineup at first base in DH, and then you have Christopher Morrell playing third base. Like that, that lineup suddenly looks quite a bit better even than last season was overall. So right. at least, and the opportunity for, for power and stuff is there too. Again, defensively, we'll see how this plays out. I, I just, I'm very curious about the Craig Council angle, if he views it a little bit differently, especially because he's seen Morrell from afar, maybe not up close and personal defensively a bunch, but he's seen Morrell. He knows what Morrell has to offer offensively. And just that different perspective and view of like being an in-division team the last couple of years as Morrell has played against the Brewers and being like, this is how we were to attack him. This is how, you know, maybe some of the swing, swing changes, approach changes you can make here, but also maybe defensively too. I mean, right. Council has, has a knack for getting the most out of his players and it could be a little bit of a fresh start, a fresh mindset for Morrell within the Cubs organization. Obviously the front office probably still has a similar view in the past, but maybe Council has said something, I, you know, I don't know. I'm just right. curious how this whole situation plays out so um Andy here we are on December 13th like the off season is several months old the holidays are coming up soon Cubs have yet to make a move besides the council move pretty big move but do you think they make a major league transaction before the end of 2020 a 40-man roster I think they make at least one yes I think the way the market is kind of shaping up how we're starting to see even more and more moves some of them small some of them bigger like Jung-Hoo Lee I think there's there's a path for them to, to at least make one move before the end of the calendar year. Yeah, I think we all thought all along that the Shohei Otani move or decision was holding up the rest of the offseason. And we've seen proof of that concept yeah. because since he signed on Saturday, there has been a lot more movement, a lot more discussion. The Glassnow rumor as of yet is still not official, but like seems likely that he's headed to the Dodgers. Um, you know, a report out there from I think Robert Murray had as a minor league signing for the Cubs. Jorge Alfaro as, as catcher, just an, an option, a, a depth option maybe behind Jan Gomes and Miguel Amaya. But other than that, the Cubs really haven't done anything in terms of acquiring players. But definitely now, you know, as the Shohei stuff uh, is in the past and, and Lee signing as well as big deal, I think there are going to be more moves. I'm honestly wondering if the Bellinger decision happens at some point before the end of the year, yeah. too. So to, to me, I feel like it's a little bit more unlikely the Cubs sign him because the Giants signed Lee. I think the Giants may be out on Bellinger. Maybe not though. Maybe maybe they view it differently. They've they clearly had a seven hundred million dollars yeah. you know earmarked for Shohei Otani. One hundred thirteen million of that is going to lead. But like, I, to me, I think it comes down to the Blue Jays and Cubs, and it may happen in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, we could see that. I mean, even twenty four hours ago, even twenty hours ago, I think my opinion on the likelihood of Cody Bellinger coming back to Chicago has changed tremendously. So. In 12 hours, it might be changed completely too. So it's yeah. that's how fast the market can move, and just how quickly things can change, especially in a market with a player as big as, as as Bellinger. Yeah, absolutely. So this is Wednesday afternoon here that we're recording this. Obviously, things can change from <laughs> here. I hope we don't have to do version three of this podcast yeah, or anything we're else. With you. Um, yeah, so we'll see how that plays out. But that'll do it for this week's edition of the Cubs Weekly Podcast, presented by Wintrust. Don't forget to download and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Check us out in video form on the Marquee Sports Network app. For Andy, I'm Tony. Thanks for tuning in.